Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Thank you guys for being here on a, on a beautiful weekend. I am going to um, be teaching today on a topic that if, um, if I'm being honest with you, it's, it's kind of, of a tough topic uh, just because it's so well known. And so uh, anytime we, we talk about the topic of faith, uh, we think of just a well-traveled subject. And so since it's at the core of everything that we ever talk about with Christianity, sometimes it's difficult to bring new rev- revelation on this topic or uh, people check out mentally uh, when you're talking about faith. So I'm going to challenge you to stay with me this morning. And I want to just begin by basically with with communicating some gratitude and some thankfulness because um, I think we're very blessed to have the Gospels. I think when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even throw in Acts, you know, we get a, a very good uh, picture as much as, as we can about the upstart of the kingdom, and at least the New Testament kingdom. And so we get these great, rich stories and characters and scenarios. It's very movie-like. Uh, because you see it unfold and stay with you. And then it's like you go to another gospel and you get the same story, but with a little bit of different angle uh, on it. And so I'm just thankful to have it. And when we read the gospels, there are two examples of when Jesus is amazed or surprised. Uh, One version even says that he marveled. And both of those occasions where he is surprised or amazed is on the subject of faith. So faith is very important to him. He taught it. Um, He encouraged us to have it. Uh, They go on to say that all of us have been given faith. Uh, So our spirit is comprised of faith. We can exercise it. And use it, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just just a moment. But when it talks about Jesus being amazed or surprised or or marvelled, I, I want to give you both of those examples to just give you some starting context here. The first time he was amazed was found in Matthew chapter eight. There's a Roman centurion, and he basically tells Jesus, "I got somebody dear to me who is sick." And you don't have to come by. If you'll just speak the word, then I know that they will be made made well. And Jesus was so taken aback by what he had just said. He was just like, wow, that's incredible faith. Uh, Because everyone is, is pulling on him, tugging at him, wanting a personal visit from him. And so this centurion guard just gets it. He's like, I'm a man of authority. I'm a man who's under authority. I know what it means to say, go there, do that, and see it done. And I don't need you to come by. If you'll just speak healing, it'll happen. So amazing. Jesus was so surprised at it. The second time is the opposite of that. Jesus is in his hometown. 
He's trying to do miracles. He's trying to teach. And the crowd turns on him. So some of the home folk begin to talk among themselves, and they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't that Mary's boy? Don't we know this guy's family? Uh, I think he worked on my house once. So this is the carpenter, right? This is him. So all this razzle-dazzle that we're seeing is our Jesus? And he was so surprised by it, and it limited what he could do for them. It was like their faith was so small that it just constricted the ability for heaven to be poured out upon them. And so those are two completely different um, sides to faith, but nonetheless, Jesus was surprised by, by both of them. It says he was amazed at their lack of it. So there are many more stories throughout the Gospels about faith, and it is a topic that the four authors are communicating is at the core of believing in Jesus, following Jesus, and the ministry of Jesus. And in a nutshell, the teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels is basically this, to live our lives as if God can be trusted. He's saying, listen, I know that, I know that life is hard, I know that it's challenging. I know that when you look at your life, you could easily make a list of things that have not gone well. But I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I'm at the middle of your life. Keep following me. Keep believing in me. And I'm not going to leave you. And this, this communication or language of, of trust and faith were always put to, together. Hebrews 12 and 2 teaches us this. He says, he is the author, and I like this part, the finisher of our faith. So he's saying, not only am I going to start something good in you, but ultimately I'm going to be the one who puts the last exclamation point on your life. I get the last word. I'm the author and the finisher. One version says he's the perfecter of faith. So I am working something out in you that causes you to see me, to know me more, uh, to understand, to be transformed through a process of faith. Now, all of us in this room know that there are seasons of life. And in those seasons, your body changes, the way you think changes, your maturity expands, if you're 40 today, you're not the same person you were at 20. Um, you used to run around and sprint here and there, and now you're doing good to just get to the mailbox and back, you know? And then there's uh, your thinking, the way you interact with people. Wisdom has started to set in. Experiences um, have settled in on your life, and now you look at a circumstance and you can immediately almost tell others how that thing is going to play out unless something changes because you've seen it so many times be before. It's different seasons of life. Well, faith does the same thing. Your faith grows and wanes uh, through different seasons of life in terms of following Jesus. And I'm going to go through those really quick. Some examples would, would be that there's, there's teenage faith. 
for me as a teenager, it was more about a moral code. Like I had to to get this right. Like I wanted to make good decisions morally. I gotta I gotta act right, behave right, do right. It it always had the word right in it. I gotta I gotta honor my parents. I need to honor God. I need to be at church. I need to serve. I need to give. I had this list of things that I needed to to do, and it was always equated or was connected to my faith journey. In that, there was a lot of searching. So teen, teenage faith is, you know, I, I want to find God. I want God in my life. What does he have for me? Uh, what does my future look like? And there's all these question marks just ahead of you uh, and, and how it intertwines and connects with faith. What is the purpose of my life? And you're trying to figure that out during your teenage years. Then there's married with kids faith. And suddenly, life is not just about you, and neither is your faith. You're trusting God with not only your life, but with the life of your family. And so now you're praying your own prayers about provision and health and safety, and you are wanting God to protect your kids and protect your wife. You can't just huddle up at home. People have to go to work. People have to go to school. People go on trips. And so you're constantly just praying, God, protect my family, keep them safe wherever they are today. And life and faith is about other people. And then there's the prime of your life faith. This is the kind of faith that you've generated and you've latched onto because you've got something in you that you want to be good at. You recognize now at the prime of your life that you've got a skill set, you got a calling, you got a passion, you got something that's God-given, you've tapped into that, and you want to excel at it. So you're inviting God into that, that process. Make me better at it. Open doors of opportunity. Create favor. Bless this. Put your hand on it. And all kinds of, of prayers that go along in, in that di direction. You want God involved in the prime of your life to accomplish something so that at some point you look back and there's a legacy there that you say, this is what I did with my life. Then there's empty nest faith. Emptiness faith is you now having to believe for the safety, health, or protection of your kids when they are no longer under your daily influence. Uh, you, you're not telling them what to do anymore. You are hope, hoping they join you uh, around the table sometimes to hear wisdom and conversation, but they're living their own life. And you're trusting God with the release of your children and for so many years, your life has been about them, and now you're circling back to going, what are we supposed to do now with all this money? <laughs> and then there's getting old faith. Getting old faith is when you reach this time in your life where eternity is, has become so sweet because the majority of your life and the experience with the people that you had in it are, have now moved to eternity. And so now your life is, is looking toward eternity and the hopes of it and the gratefulness for it. And you're still praying for those behind you that God would bless them and that God would ordain something in the life of your kids and grandkids. But the majority of your faith is leaning toward eternity. Now, in the mix of all this is still a stretch me faith. And stretch me faith is the hard stuff. It is single parenting kind of faith. It is 
I'm, I'm sick for a long time faith. It's burying people you love faith. It is struggling at work faith. It is, it is who am I, what am I supposed to do faith. It, all in the mix of all the seasons of growth and all the things that you're thinking about with God and what you want him to do in your life and, the, and then the challenges. And, and it's, it's like this gumbo with each thing representing some great ingredient that, that drops into the pot. But I think when we talk about faith, there is an assumption that we all make. Jesus taught about three different levels of faith. And I'll just, I'll just make, make this part really quick. He was talking to one group and he said, hey, you've got great faith. So that, that's one. He said, the faith that you have going on is great. As a matter of fact, he tells them, I haven't seen anything like your faith anywhere else I've been. Then one time he looks at an individual and he says, thy faith or your faith has made you well. And I think that's the measure of faith. It's like what we've been given. It's standard operational faith. And he said, you have taken your measure of faith, your standard of faith. You have put it in me. And because of that, you're healed. So great faith, your faith. And then the other one, he says, oh, ye of little faith. And I think our assumption is this. We always hear the phrase little faith and we assume that it is a small amount of faith that never grew. It's like that person was given faith and they didn't do anything with it. Like they never had a challenge. They never had an opportunity. They live reclused somewhere. And so they never come in contact with people. They've never had a health issue. They've never lost anybody. They've never been in a relationship. They've never had a challenge of friendship. They've never had a business that, that they love and they've got their heart in the mix of it. No, they're just this person who lives isolated from all the things that you and I live in the middle of. And now because of no contact with life, they just have little faith. But what if we're wrong about all that? And what if, oh, ye of little faith could be a group of people who at one point had great faith and something happened? What if our, oh, ye of little faith people were once, oh, great faith, I haven't seen anything like this anywhere else I've been, but somewhere in the mix of it, life got involved and something happened, and, and, and now they have broken faith, damaged faith, shattered faith, little faith, because of life. And so when I think about this, I think about the kind of faith that used to just have a testimony, you know? You've been around one of those folks who give their heart to Christ, and man, they will not shut up. Every time you see them, they're talking about Jesus. You're in a restaurant with them. You hear them talking about Jesus. They're on Instagram posting about Jesus. And it's like those people who have been in Christ for a long time are just like, man, will you please dial it down? It's like you got so much zeal, you're annoying. And so the old Christians are like, man, you've, you've really got a story. You're really full of faith, but just give it some time and life will happen. So you've got people with shattered faith who used to shout a testimony from the roof and now they're just quiet. For some that had, had great faith, it was like once they were leading something in the faith community, 
have many, many friends who used to be pastors, who used to teach the word, who used to try to start fires. And now they're, they, they barely believe in the local church. People with great faith and something in the mix, something happened and now the, sh- the shattered faith causes them to just be, be broken people. Maybe some in this room, you had a faith one time that was kind of unshakable, belief for the impossible, like a gift of faith, a gift of prayer and intercession, and you can't remember the last time you felt that because of of life. Well, it's this faith that I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning. Ken, you want to come here? I want you to... Walk through this illustration with me just, just for a moment this morning. I want you to imagine this backpack this morning as, as Ken's heart, okay? Now, we know that through, through Scripture, the heart is very, very important, and it's mysterious. We don't know. You, you can't really point to it in terms of, of the spiritual heart, but we do believe that it's in that place is where our spirit man is, is, is housed. It's where that measure of faith has been given. So somewhere in here is, can, can be the exuding of faith. It's where, it's where our worship comes from. It's where our story comes from, our testimony. It's where, it's where our, our desire to serve and love people comes from. Because we don't get it from here. Um... We sure don't get it from a culture. It's, it's got to come as being a gift of God, something that is in you from his gift. We know it's important because he says, guard it, everything you do comes from it. But I want you to just imagine this. In this sacred place is where your faith lives. Okay, The measure of faith. Now, somewhere along the way, we're going to make up a story about Ken. Let's just say somewhere in Ken's childhood that Ken goes through a tough one. Maybe his parents divorce. Maybe he was bullied. Maybe he moved a, a, a lot. Maybe he just felt disconnected. Uh, maybe the, the story of Jesus was just not something that he really connected to. Maybe as he looked around in his life, very few connections, very few friends, and some of those pains and some of those hurts are dropped into his heart. And let's just say Ken's 12, and so by this time, Ken's worldview starts to be shaped that not every day is a good day, that sometimes things are tough, um, that marriages don't always work, Sometimes God feels distant. I mean, at 12, he's learning some very, very hard truths. But let's graduate him on. Let's say now he gets to the point that he's 14, and he has very few friends. He goes out for uh, teams, doesn't get, get picked. If he is, he's the last one chosen. Oftentimes, he eats lunch by himself. He's isolated. Maybe Ken is poor. Maybe because of that, he's targeted, he's looked at, uh, no one wants to be around him. He doesn't dress right, doesn't act right, doesn't have... And so these cues, these things that he begins to pick up, drop into his heart. 
They begin to affect who he thinks he is and how God sees him. As time goes on, maybe Ken gets re rejected in his teenage years. He tries to date in his latter teens, gets dumped, talked about, moves into a marriage that doesn't work. As an adult, he marries Cammie. Two, that'll do for her. Actually, let's, let's make it four for Cammie. We'll put that in there. And so throughout life, Ken begins to fill his heart with these experiences. Now, here's what happens in the South. Our culture teaches grit. So it's like, hey, you get up, you get going, you put your boots on, you toughen up, you thicken your skin. This is what life is about, and you get, get going. And that works for just a little bit. And there's some honor in that. you got to have some grit to keep on moving in life. But let's just start to add a few things. Let, let's add Ken's family in there. There's some little kids in the back there. And then this is going to re represent Ken's business and his job and pr provision. He's got that down in his heart. And then over here is a little manger scene. This is going to re rep represent him communicating the story of Jesus. So this is Ken's existence, his heart, where faith is supposed to reside, where he's supposed to be full of life, where his joy comes from, is also full of a lot of experiences where he did not win, where great faith cooled down, where it may have been broken, shattered, damaged. He's in the OE of little faith crowd. This is the same conversation of, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like my mind wants to believe that everything you say is going to happen, but God, you got you to gotta help my unbelief because I've lived life a little bit. And I think this is why Jesus teaches a he doesn't teach you about teenage faith and eternity faith, and he doesn't teach about uh, the prime of life faith and married with kids faith. You know what, what, what he, he teaches? Childlike faith. He said, to come to me, you're going to have to come as a kid who trusts me at face value, who's not living through this. You know why worship is so hard for some of you? Because you're trying to push it up through this. Let's be really honest for just a moment this morning. Amidst all of this, this is what happened. Ken comes to church. Now, we don't see all this because over time, Ken's mastered what's in his backpack. And so he bumps into somebody like me or a David or a Kim or Robin a Beth or Jenna Drew Friday, somebody says, hey, Ken, what do you think about teaching a kid once a month? And one small yes to Ken feels like a dump truck of responsibility. Why? Because he is so full of stuff. And his heart is having conversation about all of this. And there are some in this room, and I'm not trying to be hard, but this one hour a week is all that you've dedicated to your spiritual development. And I want you to think about that. What if you saw your wife one hour a week? Would you be very close? 
Don't answer that question. Do not answer that question. What if you saw your kids one hour a week? What if you ate once a week? And when you did, it was those little donuts, you know, those little glazed chocolate. What if that's all you ate for an hour a week? It wouldn't be good. Your life would not be good. You can't depend on this one gathering one hour a week to develop your faith. And so now we've got Ken so full of life, his faith tries to come out of this. And what God wants for us is to receive healing in this area. Not to, not to believe more. Not, not to try to say, you know, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to get over it more. Not I'm going to try to stuff it deeper. Not I'm going to try to get a, a bigger backpack. No. What God wants you to do is have healing from all of this to where it becomes part of your story and you grow in faith, but the backpack becomes empty with only carrying the joy of the Lord and the faith that you have in God so that you can live a life more abundant. Ken, go ahead and sit down, man. Thank you. So I'm just curious, like how, how many of us are, are in this place or in our community, people that you're going to sit across from at Colton's today, whose backpack is so full that if Jesus showed up, they would be little faith. And this is going to be really tough talk for just a second. Just give me 60 seconds. Because some of you loved God with all you had until you lost your marriage. Or you loved God with all you had until you buried somebody. And your filter looked at that situation and said, if God doesn't love me enough to prevent this, and you just stopped growing. So for some of you, you're 40, but your faith is 15. Some of you are 50 plus. But when your marriage ended, when you were 30, you stopped believing right, right then. You still do a bunch of religious stuff, but your faith stopped because it shattered. If you don't have two filters in place for every single situation in your life, you're really going to struggle. Those two are God is good and God is love. If you don't have those, then anything goes. Then you can filter God by the circumstance. And if you filter him by the circumstance, he always ends up the bad guy. The one who didn't show up. The one who didn't answer. The one who didn't come through. The one who didn't fulfill his promise. The one who doesn't come through on his word. But if you get it in your faith that God loves you in spite of a divorce. God loves you in spite of a death. God loves you in spite of a terrible choice. Whatever it is, that God is love and that he's good. So even though someone passed away, he's still good. And even though you and I have sinned and fallen short, he's still good. 
And even though someone said or did something to you that rippled through your life, he is still good. But if you don't have those filters in place, you end up holding a handful of, of just pieces of faith. Now let me quickly sum this up this morning. In John chapter 9, there's this, there's this rare story. It's one of my favorite. I've preached it more than any other text in Scripture. There's this gentleman. He's blind, and he and Jesus make a connection. And Jesus does something really strange. He, he bends down into the dirt, and he spits in it. That's country boy right there, right? Spits in it, and he makes a salve, and he, he puts it in the guy's eyes. And I got to thinking about that, and there's... There's uh, some inter- interesting things in Scripture about this because there, there are times and moments where God puts his hand into the, the dirt. And I, I know there's more than this, but I just wrote, wrote down a few. When he formed man, God put his hands in, in the dirt. And so he, he forms man, and he breathes into him the breath of life, and man becomes a, a, a living. So when he buried Moses, uh, he puts his hand into the dirt. Uh, when he writes on the ground of the Pharisees, he puts his hand in the dirt. When he spits into the mud, he puts his hand in the dirt. The point, every time when it comes to these examples, and I'm sure there's more, but on, on these four specifically, every time he gets his hands dirty, the result is either healing power or a healthy progress. He's either saying enough is enough and I'm, I'm going to bring healing to you, or there's got to be a transformational change right now, and he cuts it off any time he gets his hand into the dirt. And so I want you to think about that. Our backpacks are full of dirt. They're just, they're full of, of, of life's stuff. And when God gets his hand in the dirt of our lives, it's either going to be a, 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 health, a healing power or a healthy progress. There's either going to be transformation happen or revelation happen. And so this is what happens in this particular case is that he heals this man and he, he gets him involved in, 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 a, in a healing. But oftentimes, shattered faith that requires the hand of Jesus also requires the hands of his people. And I'm not going to have time to finish this today, and I've told 930 the same thing, and I'll finish this next week. But the way we look at healing has got to change because I, I, I would love and, I, and I, I wish that every time we prayed for somebody that immediate healing took place. I, I wish that every time we prayed it was book of Acts type stuff. But it's not. And so sometimes healing is not so much about a destination like let's get to the healing. It's over. It's like a light switch. If you'll just go there, it'll happen for you. A lot of times it's not about a destination as much as it is about a direction. Like getting you on a path of healing. And that's what I want to challenge us to this week and next is to open our hearts up to healing and a path of healing as in let's take a step toward trusting again regardless of what is in your backpack let's take a step toward being restored toward being healed a step toward forgiving somebody a step toward childlike faith a step toward giving God the ugly stuff that's buried way down deep in there 
A step toward giving God something that actually allows you to come into his house and worship him. Or serve. Or to believe again. And God requires for us to get involved. And this is a pattern that we see in scripture. Jesus often combined his power with people to forge one complete miracle. Okay, I want to give you just a few examples and I'm going to close. When he multiplied the Hebrew boy's lunch, Jesus could have easily said, all right, chicken McNuggets for everybody. Boom. And the whole hillside covered with chicken McNuggets. Or Chick-fil-A minis. That's even better. It could have happened. He could have done it. He could have said, I hope y'all like barbecue. Everybody look behind your back. And then it would have been just a big old plate of barbecue. But you know what he did? He waited on a boy to say, you know what? I'm willing to be involved. And here's my lunch. And if you can use it somehow, you, you can have it. And he multiplied it. He went to work on it. And sometimes he's waiting on us to hand him something so that he can go to work in our lives. Sometimes you got to give him something out of the backpack, and then he'll go to work. This is what I'm talking about, being on a path toward healing. It's the process rather than a destination or a point of power. It is I'm going to let something out of my heart that I haven't let out in a long time, and I'm trusting you with my story. I'm trusting you with the trauma. I'm trusting you with hurt. I'm trusting you with the pain. I'm trusting you with these shattered pieces. I mean, I I can't even hold them in my hands because there's so many of them, but I'm trusting you with this. To get started. In one one uh, version, he he uh, blesses this boat with with a bunch of fish. He says, "Listen, throw your nets to the other side." And other boats had to come and get involved in that miracle to finish it. People had to say, "I'll help, and I'll help, and I'll help." At the tomb of Lazarus, it's one of, of our favorites. We love this story. And in the end, he says, "Lazarus, come forth." And he does. It's amazing. And we're all like, man, that's a powerful story. I'd love to have been there. But then he turns it on to the people and he says, now you loose him and you let him go. People had to, had to get involved. Do you know when this man, and I say this every time I teach John 9, this man, when, they spit, when he spit in the ground, he put it on his eyes. And he said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam is four miles away. Someone had to lead that guy down there and help him. And it wasn't Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn up till a chapter later and reveals himself to him. Someone had to take him. Someone had to get involved. Someone had to help him wash his face and get involved in that miracle. And so my challenge to you and our church is let's get involved in in each other's healing. Let's help each other. Let's bless each other. Let's pray over each other. Let's be accountable to each other. Let's share something together and let God get involved. Let's be on this journey together. So maybe you're tired of carrying your backpack for years, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you got grit. You got Southern culture. And you know how to grit your teeth and get up and go get something done. 
But when it comes to being free in, in the Lord, when it comes to growing in him, when it comes to having faith to believe, grit doesn't cut it as much. You got to have healing. Start your healing. Start the path to healing. All right. I want you to bow your heads with me really quick. I just want to pray with you just a second. You're just in this place. You say, Kevin, I'm here today, and I'm living off shattered faith. I'm kind of stage in my life right now. And once I believed more, or I believed better, or it was so much easier for me to follow Jesus, whatever words you want to put to it. But now today you're like, I am living in shattered faith. I want you to pray with me. Will you just lift your hand today in this room? Anybody? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, all across the room. I want you to do something with me just all across the room, whether you raised your hand or not. I just want you to stand with me. And if you're with somebody today who is family or a close friend, will you just make a point of contact? Will you just grab them by the hand or throw your arm around them? Father, today I know you see us. I know you see every backpack in this place. I know, God, that you were there at every rejection, at every heartache, for every time someone walked out of our lives that we didn't want to. For every time we heard a parent say something, it went really deep. For every time we felt let down and overlooked and not heard. God, you've been at every funeral, every goodbye. And today I pray for paths of healing over our church. People who are so full and so tired. They don't even remember joy. They don't remember what whole faith even looked like. Lord, start a path for them. Let today be day one. Of restoration, of healing. Lord, right now, as tears fall in the room, God, we just pray over every hand that was raised. If you raised your hand today, I just want you, with some kind of imagery, I want you to just empty your backpack before the Lord. Just begin to put your hands in there and pull out things that just the Spirit brings to your mind right now. Just, just begin to pull those things out and lay them before the Lord. God, this is what I have. This is what I have. 
God, would you roll up your sleeves and just get in our lives today? Heal your people. We just pray right now. Come on, if you're a believer right now, we just join, we just pray right now for healing in this room. It may not be applicable to you, but I can tell you it's applicable to a lot of folks this morning. Just begin to pray, Lord, heal people today. Heal people today, Lord. Let your healing move in this room, God. The gentleness of the Lord. The gentleness of the Lord.